I know it's Memorial Day, a lot of folks are traveling, and I'm sure some of them are going to join with us by our YouTube channel today, and we want to welcome everybody, and happy Memorial Day. Uh, I want to share something with you, just kind of keep you in the loop on a couple of things. Uh, we have uh, sent out an invitation, uh, or I have invited Jonathan Kahn to come here, so you can be praying about that. Um, so we'll see, I actually need you to help me pray about that because he can't go everywhere, right? There's only one of him, so just uh, be praying. I know a lot of you guys have read his book, so we've reached out, I've reached out to him to see if he'd be willing to come here, and if we have to, we'll uh, rent one of the football stadiums or something, uh, whatever we have to do. Also, I want to let you know this, one of our church folk here this week was in a local business and... Um, the guy in front of them was paying before them, and when he got ready to pay, he swiped his wrist to pay for his goods in Danville. What did Jesus tell us? Look up. Your redemption's drawing nigh. We're getting close. We're getting set up. The world's getting set up. He had a chip in his hand or his wrist, and he was able to pay for his goods that way, so... We know that uh, everything's moving that way. I'm sure some of you have been watching uh, the things about the uh, chips and all that that's going on, but it was kind of surprising to learn that that was already going on in Danville. His, the company that he had his credit card with was embedded a chip inside of his wrist. So we know that all that stuff has to happen for the Antichrist to come to power uh, and to be able to control the world to some degree. So we're supposed to be excited. Amen. About four of us are. <laughs> uh, he said for us, when you see all these things coming to pass, he said to look up because your redemption draws nigh. Amen. So we're not conspiracy theorists. I don't think that was Antichrist here in Danville. But uh, we know that the technology is getting in place for all these things to come to pass. Let's stand our feet. Turn around and uh, wish your neighbor a happy Memorial Day. And let's, uh, let's just take a moment here, if you would, and a moment of silence to remember those who paid a heavy price for us to enjoy the things we enjoy. We still live, we still live in the greatest country in the world. Uh, no country has come as close to being as blessed to Israel as we have here in America. So we've got a lot to be thankful for. But if you read the scripture and you also study history, you'll know there's a lot of people that paid a heavy price for us to be where we're at today. Certainly spiritually with Christ and then even as our country. You think about the families that sent their 18-year-old sons over Across the pond in some of the wars and they never came home. Uh, and it's easy for us to take those kind of things for granted. To not remember the price that's been paid. So let's take a moment here. A moment of silence and remember all those that have paid the price. Lord, may we not take anything for granted. 
as Christians and as Americans, may we realize the price that's been paid, certainly with your sacrifice, Jesus, and all those that have paved the way for us to be where we're at today. May we turn back to you, God. May as many as as would hear, may we turn our lives back to you. May we make you the center of everything in our lives. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. That's in that's Psalm 117. So he specifically singles us out as Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles were allowed to come in and assimilate into the culture of Israel and actually worship the one true and living God. And nowhere is that clearly more clearly seen than with Ruth, the Moabitess. The Moabites were wicked people. <clears throat> but she said... Your God will be my God. She got it, right? So all of us Gentiles, we got a lot to praise God for. Amen? If you read Romans chapter 11, He grafted us into the same tree. Who is that tree? Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. For His merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. He's awesome. Amen? Jesus is our everything. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy the way, the truth, and the life. Let's give Him praise this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Give the Lord praise again. Amen. He's worthy. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. There's a nursery, two nurseries next door. The rest of you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to start. We'll make a little journey this morning, show you a few things that I think you need to understand. I will say this to you, that America has escaped uh, persecution primarily the way our brothers and sisters have around the world for several decades, actually. Uh, And so I think that's changing, and it's going to change even more. I think we're going to be targeted as we move forward. Christians actually stand in the way of this system that's in the world. The Bible says it's the devil's system. He's the God of this world. He's the one that's manipulating and moving. And so, as as disappointing as this may be to some folks, when they hear what's getting ready to roll off my lips, it is true. If you're not serving God, you're following Satan. That's exactly right. You may not be be doing it knowingly. You may not be doing it proactively. You may not be a Satan worshiper. But there's only two sides in this battle. And I want to stress to you, we are in a war. There's nothing you can do to change that. 
The problem is too many Christians don't remember that they're in a war. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against things that we cannot see. So you're in a war. Your life's not going to just go smoothly if you and I have an opponent. And we do have an opponent. We have, his name is Satan or Hasatan. That's what he's called in the Hebrew. We call him Satan in the English. Lucifer, the devil, uh, several names he's used. But he's our adversary. And the Bible tells us he's our adversary. And he's rampant him. Now he has in place here in our own country. We've watched this fall out in other countries. But here in our country, we have a country where there are far more people that are doing Satan's will than God's. That's where we've come to. But we were told that it was going to be this way. There are going to be many who go to destruction and few who go to heaven or the straight and narrow way, the stenos way. So that's the path you and I are on if you name the name of Christ and you're following Him. But we live in a world that is growing more and more hostile toward God's Word, toward the whole thing about Christianity. And we're, we're going to be caught in the crossfires in the middle of that. So far here in this country, we've not faced the physical persecution that we see our brother Stephen and others face around the world, Some where we have planted churches and schools, and, and uh, have this is the last year, actually, of supporting uh, the doctor. This is the final year we need to get him through medical school. So we've, done, we've been able to tie in and do a lot of things, not just there in Africa, but a lot of places in the world. But some of our brothers and sisters... And especially in the Middle East and in Africa, they face heavy persecution, sometimes even the point of physical death. Uh, We are not there yet, but we're getting there in this country, and it's going to get worse. We don't know how much of this we're going to see before the Lord returns, but it's progressively, and you could say this along with most of us, our country's gotten worse in the last five years in a fast way, exponentially. And we've turned away from God more and more as a country, and we're seeing the fruit of that. Let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's pick up with verse 6 here. Let me read you just a few verses, and then we're going to go back to chapter 4 in this same book. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. So humility is a picture that all of us need to uh, be a part of. And then he gives us some uh, good news here, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So you can take all your stuff to the Lord, and he cares for you. And then he gives us some more instruction. Be sober, be vigilant, and I would say don't do anything that keeps you from being sober. There are people that are drunk on a lot of things uh, in this country and in this world. In fact, The Bible says in Revelation that some people are drunk on fornication even, sexual immorality, that it drives their life. So don't let anything in your life keep you from being sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, and here's where he mentions him as an adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So his desire is to devour us. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So Peter's talking to a group of people that are, this is why his epistles have been written. They're stepping in to a moment of persecution and opposition, something that was new to many of them. And Peter's trying to remind them that they have brothers and sisters that are going through that in other places. That's what I'm trying to do with you this morning. It's hard for us. I want to take you back to 
Second uh, Kings chapter six just for a moment here. It's hard for us as Americans to realize that we could be on the doorstep of being in trouble. We're used to having everybody look to us. We're used to our currency being the standard. We're used to our military being the standard. We're used to our Christianity being the standard. And I have some friends, uh, pastoral friends actually, who are in the Methodist church. And the Methodist church has just had a great split. And they gave the churches in America the opportunity to split off and they could do one of two things. I I have some extensive knowledge about this because some of my friends are pastors in the Methodist movement. And in fact, these kinds of churches that you and I are sitting in this morning came out of the Methodist movement. The full gospel movement came from the Methodist church. They kind of separated and cut that wing off. If you go back and read the Wesley boys and some of the things that God used them in, you'll see the Wesley boys were not Methodists. They were just guys following the Lord. That movement came out of their teachings. But, and then the full gospel movement came out of the Methodist teachings because what happens over time with a lot of churches, and it happens to most denominations, men get a hold of it and take it their direction instead of the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit keeps bringing His people out. So if I could take you back to 2 Kings, you're looking at a, a nation there, Israel, who was used to being on top. They were used to God doing things for them, but they were sieged by the Syrians. They had been besieged by the Syrians. And this is when Elisha was up and running. They, it had happened uh, before that with Elijah, but now Elisha has, kind of, has taken the mantle. and he's run. But Israel could not conceive that they would be in such a mess. But they got there because they had turned away from God. They had focused on, if you read the book of Habakkuk, one of the problems God talks about to Israel is they got so caught up in their wealth. Many Israelites were like a lot of Americans. They had second and third homes. They had them in places where the wealth... They had got so caught up in their lifestyle about how they wanted to live, planning out their future, they left God out of the mix. I don't care how much money we've accumulated, God still owns it all. He owns everything we have. So we need to honor Him with everything we have and not be stingy. Tell your neighbor not, neighbor not to be stingy. Can't be stingy now. Cannot be stingy. So let me tell you what happened there in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings, there's a woman comes by. She sees the king on the wall, and the king's so desperate, he don't know what to do. And she cries for the king to help. And he said, what can I do? He said, you want what's left on the threshing floor? Or the wine press. Basically, he's saying, you want the, the, the leftovers that was got left in the threshing floor. There's not Because they were in a time of being besieged, they couldn't get goods in. And they were starving to death. And the Syrians had encamped. And some uh, historians say that they laid in there for like seven years, keeping Israel from getting things they needed. And so the people resulted to cannibalism during that time. Josephus uh, speaks of this a little bit when Jerusalem was ransacked again in 70 AD. And so this woman's walking by the wall and she's asking the king for help. And he's basically saying, I, can't, I don't have nothing to help you with. Go check the wine press and see if there's any dregs left in that or go to the threshing floor and see if there's any. And the Bible says there a donkey's head was going for 20 pieces of silver shekels. And dove's dung was going for five. Let me tell you what that meant. That meant that a donkey's head went for, I think it was, their day would be a piece of silver was 20 bucks. I think it was 16 shekels. That meant it went for what? $180, $160 in their day. 
In our day, that would be worth about $200 a shekel. 197. You do the math. 200 times 16. 20 silver, or excuse me, 16 silver shekels for a donkey's head. And five of those would have been $100 in their time. It would have been like 1000 in our time for doves done. Now, if I could take you back to a group of people that got God's Word pinned down to them by God Himself, that had uh, quail fall out of the sky, manna fall out of the sky, water come out of a rock, the sea parted for them, God would show up for them time and time again, much like He's done this country. There's, they could not fathom sitting behind a wall and being besieged and having to pay thousands of dollars in our day and time for a donkey's head just to survive. Now, the reason this woman's down here begging the king for help is because she had made a deal. Now, listen to this. She had made a deal with another woman. This is all in the Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 6. She'd made a deal with another woman that they would eat her son first And then they would do the, her, the other woman's son next. And she said, here's what she told the king, so we boiled my son and ate him. And she said, now the other woman's hid her son. How can people who have been so loved and so cared for by God wind up there. How can it be? How can a nation that you and I sit in slaughter 70-some million unborn children before they can even get out of the womb? Let me tell you what the king done. He got so angry and upset, he got mad at the prophet. He didn't, he didn't have no introspection in him at all. And that's what's happening in our world. They're going to get mad at God and mad at the ones who follow Him. They're not going to look at themselves in the mirror and say, we might be doing something wrong here. They're going to turn. That's what Israel did. He said, let's kill, let's kill the prophet. That was his solution. Let's find Elisha. Let's kill the prophet. The only one... That could even tell. He just heard from God through Elisha earlier, the chapter before, and now he's got to this point. Let's kill the guy who tells us the truth. But that's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm gonna, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say to you. In America, you're going to start getting persecuted more and more if you're going to follow God's word. I'm going to get persecuted not only by the world, but primarily by other ministers. Because I'm going to fall into that category. Uh, and there are other guys that are in this category that are going, not going to back down from preaching everything that's in there. Amen. And because of that, I'm going, to, you, I'm going to fall in the category like Micah. When all the prophets come and found Micah, they said, now quit doing your own thing, basically. Which he wasn't doing his own thing. He was hearing from God. They said, go along with the rest of us and tell them what they want to hear. Now, it's funny to me that our culture, the only place they want that from is from the preachers. Nobody wants that from anybody else. Who wants a doctor that finds a tumor 
the size of a softball and comes back after reading the x-ray or the CAT scan and says, you're fine. Go on home. Nobody wants a doctor like that. Who wants a financial advisor when you're, everything's tanking that you come and see him or her and they say, it's all fine. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And I'll call you when there's nothing left. Nobody wants the, uh, to be blindsided or not told the truth. Except when it comes to God's Word. Now, I told you, I'm not bashful about preaching everything in here because it's not my Word. And there were people that done it before me that lost their heads. There'll be people that'll do it after me if time lasts. Because God will have His Word preached and He will find somebody. And if He has to, He'll raise up stones to do that. He's had donkeys preach better sermons than men. And God will get His Word out. I'm just helping myself by dispensing it, and you're helping yourself by hearing it. But this nation of Israel, there's no way they thought they could get where they're at. And I believe that's where America's at. I believe there are so many people... Now, let me say something to you. And I, I, I was going to be an accountant before I got called in the ministry. That's what I studied in school. That was my primary study. My secondary was history. But I, uh, do you, is there anybody in their right senses that thinks this country being 30-some trillion dollars in debt is going to end up okay? That ain't going to happen. We, <clears throat> that's... That's bad news for all of us. Now, the good news is, is that God said He would never leave us nor forsake us. But when you see a nation get brought to its knees, and we've watched that, and that's another beneficiary, I guess, of being a history student. We've watched nations cripple and come to... In fact, if America does not tumble somewhere along the way, we will wind up being the exception to the rule because in, all empires wind up failing sooner or later. Some of them have come back, but they've all went through a season. Some of them have not come back of being brought low. So we will be the exception to the rule if we don't get humbled here ourselves. And we, to whom much is given, much is required. And I've said this over and over. No nation has been as blessed as we have in the history of the world except for Israel. They, they're the standard, and we come under that next. We were not adorned with all the stuff they were, but we, this country is second in line to being as blessed as Israel. How can we turn our backs on God the way we have and expect to continue to experience the same level of blessing that we've always experienced? And we can already tell that's not true, right? Now, the good news for us is that God said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. So when God, and here's something I learned a couple of years ago, and I passed it off to you as we studied through Amos and Zephaniah and some of those books, that it is possible that a nation can be judged and there still be pockets of revival going on. And that's what, that's what happened to Israel. And I believe that's what's going to happen to America. In fact, we've experienced some of that here in the last two and a half years. 
where when Josiah went to the throne, there were pockets of Israel that were having revival even though the nation was getting judged as a whole. And I believe that's what's coming to America. America's not going to turn back to God as a nation. We've went too far as a group. But when you study what happened in Israel, they had pockets of revival. When God, when God judged Egypt, they were, they were being judged. But with Israel, His people, and that's what we are, the Bible says none of their livestock died. And when darkness covered the land of Egypt, there was still light where God's people were at. So that's our salvation. That's our security is walking and talking with God. Your security is not in how much stuff you've got stored up. Now, if God tells you to store up some stuff, that's fine. But your security is in Him and Him alone. Because there's a good possibility that our whole financial system is going to be changed before it's over with. Right? We see that on the horizon. Uh, And I'm one of those old school guys that still carries cash and writes checks. Go ahead and laugh now if you want to. I do not wave my wrist across the credit card machine. But we can see how all this... And so we know the whole world system has to be tied together. I've shared this with you before. When In the 80s when I was in college, it's been a long time ago, but when I was in college in the early, mid-80s, I was the guy who was standing up against globalism. Well, I heard it all through my classes, and especially in history classes and business classes, uh, I was the one guy saying, no, no, we don't want to be tied in with everybody else because when something goes bad over there, we'll get the effects of that here. I said, what we want to do is take care of ourselves and then our excess, we want to reach out and help all these other people as much as we can. They didn't listen to me. But now as a student of, of, of the Bible and prophecy, I understand all this stuff has to happen. We have to be tied in globally or the Antichrist could not sit in one seat and rule, right? He's not going to be omnipresent. He's not God, right? He's the created being, so the devil's not omnipresent. And so the Antichrist can't be omnipresent. So he needs this technology to be in place so he can manipulate and control the whole world. And that's why you and I are constantly losing freedoms because it's not because... Uh, that everybody's just getting smarter with technology. It's because this is part of the plan. Do you think God is ahead of technology? You know what else they said down in in that chapter 6? The Syrians were upset at first before they finally laid seed because the king of Syria kept saying, who in our camp keeps telling the king of Israel what I'm doing? And they said, hey... There's a prophet in Israel that keeps telling their king what you talk about in your bedroom. See, that's God. That's not Satan. Satan's not omnipresent. So he's going to need a system in place to where they can say, Oh, you won't take the mark? Well, go to that computer over there and cut his water and his electric and his phone off and put him on a list to where he can't walk in a hospital or a bank or a grocery store. That's how this is going to get set up. So you can't buy or sell if you take the mark of the beast, right? That's where we're headed. But this kind of technology has to be in place to where nothing you do no longer is, any longer is private, right? Your phone, your television, 
whatever it is, nothing is private. You are losing the ability to control your life. I used to say, all I need my president to do is keep gas prices down and make the rest of the world afraid of us. I'll I'll decide where my thermostat needs to be set. But those days are over. Those days are over. We're in a system now, worldly system, not just America. We're in a system where the, we're losing our, our, our autonomy. And that has to happen. This kind of system has to be in place for this Antichrist guy to take over. Now, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. So he, I'm going to give you some instruction here. He told us, he said, uh, he said resist the devil and uh, steadfast in the faith in chapter 5, knowing these same sufferings are going on. Now watch what he says here. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, in verse 1 of chapter 4, this same book, in the flesh, so Christ came and suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Now, that is a strong admonition there. God just said here, through His apostle, the Holy Spirit, said He reminds us that Christ suffered in the flesh. Then He tells, instructs us to get ready to arm ourselves for this kind of stuff. Right? If I'm going to send somebody into a place that I've already been, and they need some information on how to navigate that, I'm going to give them everything I know. Right? If I've been somewhere my children haven't been, and they say, hey, Dad, you've already been there, what do we need to know? I'm going to tell them, right? I'm going to give them, maybe hand off some things to them that will help them. And I might, I might, uh, I might say this about myself. This will tell you how I am. I still have an atlas in my car. Has, any, has anybody's GPS let them down? Makes you want to backslide when that happens, don't it? <laughs> Makes you want to lay hands on that woman or man who's in there trying to talk. Right. There, I had somebody come visit us up here, and uh, they'd never been in there, and so they were, you know, I guess nervous. And you know where their GPS took them? Out here on the bypass, sitting in that little graveled road, looking at that big giant cow that used to sit on the bypass. I remember they called us weeping. I'm in front of a giant cow. I don't know where I'm <laughs> So, GPSs will let us down, right? God wants to give us instruction to navigate. Now listen to what he says in this chapter. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Sin has come to an end. In other words, suffering helps us overcome sin. Tell your neighbor that. They're not going to hear it, but tell them. Suffering helps you and I to overcome sin. It helps the flesh to die. Notice how people have new moments when they go through some suffering. They have fresh revelation. God shows them things about themselves. And he takes them into a deeper level if they'll go with him. So suffering has a beneficial aspect to it. There's a little clip on our YouTube channel about suffering. 
that I share with people, the benefits of suffering. You might want to check that out after this message. He says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And that's what our journey's about, is conquering the flesh to where that's not our guide. And that's why fasting is so important for all of us as Christians. Because that desire to eat is the strongest drive or the one that's the quickest renewed inside of us. So it prompts us and moves us even without us paying attention, right? How many of you have got up been in front of the refrigerator and didn't even know what you were going after? Right? And you hear little Debbie singing in the <laughs> cabinet, right? Come away with me. <laughs> uh, and, and that's the quickest renewed. That's, now, <clears throat> let me share something with you that Jesus said in the Gospels. He did not say, if you pray, if you fast, if you give. Those are three things he hit on. He said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. It wasn't optional. That was the kind of lifestyle Christians were to live. When you pray, when you fast, and when you give. That's us, right? Those are Christians because... Uh, the desire to eat is renewed quicker than the sex drive or anything. You can eat dinner and 30 minutes later be going looking for the corn chips. Right? Because that, so there's, God wants us to understand that suffering, that's a form of suffering. When you tell your body you cannot eat, you got to go without uh, food this meal, and I want you to pray, right? You're talking to yourself. You're taking a stand there. He says that we should no longer live our lives according to the dictates of the flesh. And it don't have to be egregious things. It could just be that being attentive to the Lord, right? Being sensitive to the Lord. For we have spent enough time in our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Now, this is where we come in as Gentiles because we had bad lifestyles, bad... Um, What's the word I want to use? Culture. And God's trying to bring us out of that. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. In other words, you've lost friends over that, haven't you? Now you're the weird one. If you notice how, the, how it's flipped, right? People who did things that were against the Bible, even though they were outside the church, they used to try and hide it. Am I telling the truth? They would. They would try to hide it. Not anymore. The whole culture's flipped. And he says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So we know that Jesus had a mission when he went into the depths of the earth. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. Now here's some instruction. Be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things have fervent love for one another. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit here, is trying to get us ready to deal with stuff. Now I start this whole sermon off by telling you, you're in a war and there's nothing you can change about that. That's never going to change. 
When we bring new soldiers into the fold, we need to help them identify they're in a battle. This is part of what we do. We fight against evil. And we take a stand against the things that are against God's Word. That's never going to change. None of us get to coast through life, right? He said, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves and get ready because you live in a hostile world. Think about this. You have, have any of you ever been in a spot that you felt out of place? That's how we should feel now. But the Bible says we're just passing through here, right? This world is not our home. Quit acting like it is. God brings things in. Let me show you this. You and I are stick men, all right? Or stick woman. And God brings things into our lives. He brings them into our lives so that we can use them for His glory and allow these to minister to other stick people. Whether it's spiritual things, material things, money. God never intended for us to hoard up things. What happens when we hoard up things, whether it's love, mercy, forgiveness, what do we say? Freely you receive, freely you give. If you've been forgiven, you must forgive. So God don't want us to withhold mercy, grace, anything. When we do that, when we stockpile it, we build a dam. And this blessings of that flow into our life, pretty soon if you build a dam, the water that was meant to bring you life and help others begins to consume us and drown us. And then you watch people. You watch people go through that. Because what happened was instead of keeping their eye on the blesser, they got their eye off on the blessings. And the blessings became more important to them than the blesser. That can't happen. That cannot happen. So he tells them, he says, arm yourselves. And he says, be ready. And then he gives us some more instruction. He says, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to cover the sins of others. Not broadcast them. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Right? Have you ever seen this out of folks that... Christians, they'll do something good and and grumble about it the whole time. You might as well not even do it. The Bible says we're to be cheerful givers, right? Cheerful givers. And he says, uh, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of manifold grace of God. Give this stuff away. Whatever you've been blessed with, mercy, grace, material thing, give it away. Help others. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. You know, I'm, I try to be very clear about this. If I ever give my opinion from this pulpit, or if I'm sitting in front of you in my office, I'll make it clear that it's my opinion. We need to give God's Word away. That's what we need to focus on. We need to speak as He speaks. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You make sure God gets the glory for everything in your life. Make sure He does that. Beloved, here He goes, right back to these trials. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It's our nature 
to avoid suffering. That's the nature of the flesh. But we just saw the benefits of suffering. Sometimes God allows us to go through seasons of suffering to help us, to grow, to mature, to move away from the flesh, right? And to be have His glory revealed in us. It's, have you ever had somebody say or hear somebody say this to someone? Well, it's easy for you to say. Because everything's going your way. It's easy for you to say because you still have your job. It's easy for you to say because you've not lost a child. It's easy for you to say, and the list goes on and on and on. God uses our suffering as a way to minister to others. God uses what we go through. It is easier but we get lackadaisical with it to praise God when everything's going our way. Huh. But it's a testimony when we can still praise God when things are not going our way. That's when we give off the greatest fragrance. It's when we're being squeezed and crushed for the glory of the Lord. And when He promises us that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, that's where we hang our hat. We don't hang our hat on the journey or the outcome, those things belong to God. He dictates where our feet trod. And He dictates how the outcome will be. What we hang our hat on is that He said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He'd be with us to the end. Can we give Him praise for that? So He says, uh, we're going to rejoice that you're going to partake to the extent that you will partake in Christ's suffering. Most of us will not suffer the way He did. In fact, probably no one will. Ever. But He says, when His glory is revealed, you may be glad. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. If you get persecuted for following Christ and standing with Christ, then you will be a recipient of divine favor. That's what He's saying there. Now here's the thing we got to cross over we got to quit looking for uh, glory from men and just start looking from God. That's whose approval we need to seek. That's why Jesus would tell them that many times. He said, don't share this with other people. Just go to the priest and offer up what God had asked you to offer or Moses told you to do, right? Because he wasn't looking for affirmation from men. He was looking from his father. And he received that when he was being baptized and on the mount of transfiguration, I'm sure other places as well. He says, he says, on their part, he says, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. When you go through hard times and they see you and I enduring and still looking to God, that's a testimony. That's our greatest testimony. Uh, on their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. All right, that's us. Uh, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. Now that would mean also with your tongue, right? Because the Bible says we can murder people with our tongue. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. It got quiet when I said that. <clears throat> we can murder people with our tongue according to the Gospels. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and you can steal from men and you can steal from God. Right? It got quiet again in here, didn't it? 
You can steal from God or people. An evildoer or a busybody. I didn't even know they knew what that meant back then, did you? It's like the guy across the fence is telling, gossiping about somebody else and the neighbor said, tell me more, tell me more. And he said, I've already told you more than I know. Busybodies in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, now if you suffer those other ways, you got what's coming to you. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. This is why I know that we're so close to the world's judgment is because you and I have been watching the church get judged since the 80s. If you've paid attention, God has been judging His people for the, since the 1980s. That's when ministry started getting exposed and getting judged. Remember that? And it's been going on. Whole denominations have suffered because God has been cleaning up His church. Now let me tell you what that's like. That's like you bringing your children to my house and your children along with my children get into mischief. And if I come outside and only speak contrary to your children and let my children off the hook, that leaves a very bad taste in your mouth, right? That's how God is. God's not going to judge the world until He judges His own Till he cleans his own house up first. And that's what he's been doing since the 1980s. Now, we've watched some of those people repent and get back into the graces of God. Beautiful thing. That's how it's supposed to work. Look at David. Look at Peter. Look at Noah. Look at Abraham. Look at all of them, right? Just about all of them. But some of them have dug their heels in. And now some of these pulpits that have been judged by God are worse than before. It's that same attitude that we had in this country on 9-11. And I listened to Congress people from both sides of the aisle. One Democrat and one Republican. And they read the same passage out of Isaiah two different times. And they read that passage out of Isaiah, and Jonathan Kahn points this out. They read that passage out of Isaiah where that they're saying, we'll build back bigger and better and stronger. And they had no understanding of that passage. Because when you understand that passage, Isaiah is basically saying there, these, these people are in defiance of God. God judged them and they said, we don't care that you judged us. We're going to build back bigger and better anyhow. What they should have done is fell on their face and repented. So it's exactly what we should have done as a nation in 2009-11. We should have fell on our faces and repented. You saw it when I did. If you were around the church then, you saw them flood into the church by the droves. Everybody freaking out. And then they've went back out. Most of them never stayed because they have no fear of God. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand that our nation was beginning to be breached, right? And that last prophecy I gave talked about those breaches are getting ready to widen in this nation. And what happened to Israel, if I could take you back to 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm not going over there to read it, it would take us too long, but I, the reason I brought that up earlier is because the backdrop of that <clears throat> was that Israel had turned away from God and had let false gods into the land. And that's what we've done. I'm going to say this. I'll get criticized for it. I'll get hate mail for it. I don't care. America should have never let a false god in this land. 
That's not freedom. That's bondage. We can let any nationality, it doesn't matter. There's no skin color with God. He made every nation out of the same blood. But Israel got in trouble when they started letting idolatry in the land. In fact, they gave over to it. That's what happened to Israel. Let me tell you how God judged Israel and how I believe He's been judging us, and this is why it's going to get worse. He allowed other nations to start coming in the breaches and start taking over their land, their territory, and their businesses. Now, has anybody read what's been going on in America the last 30 years? Does it, do you go try to build a church in Saudi Arabia and see what happens to you? Go try to buy land in Israel and see if you can do it. You won't be able to do it if you're a foreigner. But you can come to America if you're China and buy property right next to our military bases. Why are our politicians so blind? Because sin blinds us. It blinds us. This has been going on for 30 or 40 years. How much land foreign countries have bought in this nation? How many pagan temples have been set up in this nation? And now we find out, what was it, two weeks ago, that some of the Chinese police have been planted in this country. That's exactly what happened to Israel. Exactly. The breaches started opening up, and the foreign people who worshipped false gods started bringing all that into the nation of Israel. And when Josiah raised up, he said he was the only guy out of all the kings. That's why the Bible said there's not one like him before him or after him because most of the kings, like politicians, right? Notice when somebody's coming to town, when the Super Bowl's coming to town, and, and it's no secret that San Francisco's a mess. But when they take the Super Bowl out there in three or four years, they'll have every street out there clean. Because that's how men work, right? That's how Israel worked. When somebody would come to the throne, he'd clean up what he could see, but he'd leave all these idols out there. Not Josiah. He said, you go get the Word of God. When they brought the Word of God to him, he ripped his clothes. He was so distraught. He said, we're going to do this. And so they cleaned up Jerusalem. They cleaned up. They went out on the sides of the mountain, tore down all the, uh, the altars to the false god, killed those priests, had their bones pulverized, and scattered them all over the hill. Eighteen years old, this guy was serious about the things of God. We have been, we've, we've been rocked to sleep in this country and we've allowed, we've allowed nations who worship false gods to get roots in our country. Now, I'm going to say it. You, you might as well get ready to hear it. We got people in our national government in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D. I said that like a, somebody from Illinois. They put an R in daughter. I don't know where it's from. But Washington. Or daughter, I don't know how people in Illinois find the R in there somewhere. But we got people in Washington, in government, in this land, that worship false gods. Now how in the world did that happen? All in the name of freedom. That's where we're at. The breaches have been opened. Now we have people, this used to didn't happen. Now we have people in our government who hate Israel. Do you want to watch a country's demise? Watch it how it treats Israel. We've got people in our national government that hate. That would have never happened 40 years ago. Didn't matter what side of the aisle you were on, everybody was for Israel. You see what's happening? It's a little here, 
a little here, a little here, a little here. And down the road, they worship Buddha. Down the road, they worship Mohammed, who might add is still dead and in the grave. And down the road, they worship this. Down the road, they worship Satan. And before you know it, we'll be paying $1,600 for a donkey's head. That's what we can't fathom, right? We cannot fathom that our country could be invaded. But more money's not the problem, not going to solve the issue. More military might's not going to solve the issue because we've opened our doors. Turning back to God individually is what solves the issue. And that's our call, each one of us. We cannot take care. We can't make everybody else do it, but we can take care of ourselves. For this time has come, judgment begins the house of God, and it begins with us first, uh, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God. Now I'm going to clear up something for you here, because uh, I'm going to try to do this here on this computer. Listen to this next line. Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing so as to a faithful Creator. Now, I know this ain't as happy as a sermon as we had last week. But if the bridge is about to go out ahead, I feel like I should tell you. Amen. Now, we've watched this stuff with our own eyes. We know all this stuff. But we also had a prophetic word a few weeks ago that said the breaches are going to get widened. If you'll go back and read the prophets, that's what was the demise of Israel. The the walls got breached. And the enemies behind all this, there's pagan worship and all these foreign, maybe foreign people that would love to see America destroyed. But it's deeper than that. It's the Satan. As the drugs pour across our borders, all that, that's Satan. He is coming in with a vengeance because we were the last nation that was standing for Christ as a nation. And he's trying his best to tear us down. And we've helped him. We've dropped our standards. We've got blinded by sin. We've accepted things that we would have never accepted 50 years ago. And we've opened our nation up to the enemy. But here he says, if the righteous ones scarcely be saved. Now, in Isaiah, Peter's quoting from Isaiah a little bit here. There are three classes of people. Isaiah and Peter both. There is the the sinner, the righteous, and the wicked. Those are three different words. And the sinner is the guy who's in the balance. He's the person that's never made a decision to follow Christ. But he still has the opportunity. The righteous are the ones who have come to Christ and their righteousness is now of Him. And the wicked, the Hebrew word is rashim, it's vessels that are fit for destruction. People who are reprobate. People who have crossed the line. Who won't come back. People who no longer desire the Lord. They have no conviction in their lives, no repentance. Now, those people, they're few and far between, at least that we can tell, but that's probably on the uprise. 
I mean, when you carry a sign in America in a protest that I, I saw this with my own eyes that says, if Jesus comes back, we'll kill him again. A young lady in this country carried a sign in a protest that said, what's he got to do with all that? See what I'm saying? They were mad about something else. But let's kill Elisha. They were mad about something else. Let's kill Jesus. See, that's the attitude that's prevailing in the world and it's come to our country. Now this, I don't want you to misunderstand what's being said here. If the righteous one is scarcely be saved, not the best choice of words there. It's not saying, oh, he, he got in before they shut the door. Hold the door. Hold the gate open, Peter. I'm almost there. That's not what he's saying. This word here is a word that means with difficulty, with toil. Molus is the Greek word. It means you're going to face opposition. Now, I'm, I'm telling you this to lead you one more place before I quit this morning. This is a sobering message. I understand that. The Bible says, many are the afflictions... Or not. That's another verse, but that's, that's, I don't want to quote that one. The Bible says, the harvest is white and, uh, and ready, but the laborers are few. And that few is getting cut down more and more. Now, if your Christianity is not causing you problems, I'm going to ask you, are you using it correctly? Are you being proactive with it? Are you going out there and sharing the gospel? Are you seizing that moment with your relative or your neighbor? Are you taking that moment at work where it may cost you something, where somebody gets mad because you try to share Jesus with them? Our Christianity, we're going to have to toil. We're going to face difficulties. That's what he's saying there. The righteous scarcely be saved. In other words, you're going to face suffering and opposition. You remember back when COVID hit, I went back and did some church history and they had a plague in the early church that wiped out way more than what COVID did. And everybody just kind of took off and hunkered down and finally one of the preachers got up and said, hey, it's not what we're supposed to do as Christians. And he called his congregation back and said, we got to go out and help. And so they went out in the streets and started ministering to the people who were having the plague. And some of the Christians died. But they had a major revival of people because a lot of people during that plague, and it wiped out multiple millions, a lot of people during that plague, their own families wouldn't have nothing to do with them. They were desolate. They were hungry. They were starving. But finally, one, one preacher stood up and said, Hey, we got to be the church. Now, it's going to be tough to be the church in the day we're living in. It ain't for sissies. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. You're going to suffer. Now, if you're going to go seclude yourself and hide, you may not suffer. But do you really want to stand before the Lord that way? And explain yourself. 
Nothing would be more important in your entire life than leading others to Christ. If you want to do something for Jesus, get out there and start getting the harvest in. Church is a good thing to have fellowship, to get filled with God's Word, to get motivated, provoked. But being a big dog in here don't really matter. Out there's where they need to see us. Amen. You guys come to the instruments. Let's stand to our feet. So I, I, I feel like I preached a sobering message, but I want us to be reminded. I think there are a lot of people who love God that, are, that, that even are in the church sometimes, but they're distracted. Jesus told us in Luke 21, He said, don't get caught up in drunkenness, reverie, and cares of this life. He also told us in Matthew 6 and 33, if we'll make sure we keep Him first and seek Him first, all this other stuff will just lay in place, right? We need to live that way. Don't get so caught up in all your stuff. Let God bring it in at the right place at the right time. God's not going to forsake you. He promised He wouldn't. He said He'd never leave us or forsake us. I told you, this is something I'm looking at. I'm trying to look at my life since I went through what I went through and find out where me and God intersect and cut the rest of it out. I want to be where He's at. I want to focus on what He wants me to focus on. Because He promised me that if I'd seek Him first, this other stuff would just fall right in place. Whatever it is, do you think, I'm talking to people that know this, do you think God's going to take you somewhere out there and let, drop you off? It's not how He works. Never leave you, nor forsake you, but be with you to the end. Lord, we come before you right now and we want to be sober. We want to be armed with what we need to suffer and to stand during the kind of day and the culture we live in. We're in a time, Lord, that is troubled. We're in a world that the system of this world is controlled by Satan. You told us that. You've given that much leeway. We've opened breaches up here in this country that have brought deception and are setting us up for more deception and trouble. But you planted us here. You've given us grace and authority to stand. So I'm asking you to help each one of us, God. Help us to be Christians first before everything else. Help us to put your name above all names in our lives. And as we come to your altar this morning as believers, may we be sobered up into realizing where we're at, what day we're living in. And may we turn our hearts fully to you in every way. As we worship, this altar is open. If you need to come this morning and do some business with the Lord, come on. Maybe you're lost. You've never given your life to Christ. Today's your day. Maybe you're a believer. And you've let other distractions get in 
get in too tight in your life. Will you come and do your business with the Lord?